Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. He is the one in the line of David. He's the rightful king of Israel. There are times when in our humanness we can get a little short-sighted. We lose sight of the bigger picture and we can't see the long game. Fortunately for us, God can. The Israelite nation was sure that God had reneged and abandoned them. God tells it how it is. If I'm not God who established the order of day and night and the laws of the heavens, then I'll abandon them. He was serious. We may not know what the future holds, but we can know who holds the future. Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah 33 to explore God's covenant with night and day. Covenant with night and day. We're reading from verse 23. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans? Your translation may have the word family. If your translation, I think NIV has the word kingdom. Does anyone have NIV? Kingdom. Bad that, in, in that reference, bad translation. I'll show you why in a moment. The Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Okay, so I, I, I paused at that two clans thing and I mentioned the other translations that uh, the NET translation renders it two families the NIV says two kingdoms and even says uh, Judah and Israel, uh, which is not in the Hebrew. The translators have assumed that's what it means and have put that in. And it's important, I think, to, to the context of this to figure out what's this about because the context is the new covenant. The context is that Messiah is coming. The context, if you look at the previous verse, is that uh, David will never lack a man to be seated on the throne. What is this? Verse 21. And also in verse 21, the Levitical priests will always have a minister before me. So th that's the context. And, and then he says two families. And in fact, the Hebrew word is, is kind of that, that word that is used for family or clan or tribe. And translators are puzzled over this. They don't quite know how to translate this. Hence, we've got two kingdoms. Two clans, two tribes, two families. What is it? Well, I think it's, it's, it, it actually is a point that if we grasp this, it should help us to grasp the new covenant better. It should help us to understand what Christ has done for us better as well. So who are the two families mentioned in this prophecy? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that the way we answer any question like that is to look at the context. And the context, as I've just alluded to, is the context where it mentions David. Anyone know which tribe David's from? Judah, the tribe of Judah. David's from the tribe of Judah, the royal tribe. And then the Levitical priests, the tri tribe of Levi. That's right. So it, it would make sense that, that, that if that's what Jeremiah's been talking about, then when he makes mention of two families here... That, that, that they are despised and have been rejected, that the Lord has rejected these two families or two, two clans that he chose, and he now despises his people, and he will no longer, they will no longer be a nation in his sight, that something's going on here. So what is going on? Well, the, the siege of, of the Babylonians around Jerusalem has been going on for quite some months now. It's not looking good for Jerusalem. And very soon... Very soon, the Babylonians will break through. They will 
burn the city to the ground. They will tear the temple apart brick by brick. They will kill the king, kill his sons in front of his eyes. And the line of David is still intact, but, but the king, it's over. And never again after this point is there a direct descendant of David on the throne of Judah. And you might think, well, hang on, I, I, I may be only a new Christian, but I do remember reading in Matthew that King Herod was king when Jesus was around. Surely if he's king of Israel, he's the king descended from David. Surely. Uh, no, he's not, actually. He was not even a Jew. He was appointed by the Romans. He was part Edomian and part Jewish. And he, he's not a descendant of David. Now, you can look at this and go, well, hang on a minute. And you might already be critical of the Bible. You might already have your doubts. You might already think, hey, come on, I've really been struggling with this whole Bible thing about a, an invisible God creating heaven and earth and creating everything in it, creating the first man. Because I mean, really, I can explain all that scientifically. I don't really need your God explanation in this. And then you've got these prophecies that says, David will never lack a king. And the Levites will never lack a man to minister before me. And you're now telling me that they did. So doesn't that make you, one who believes in the Bible, look a bit silly? Well, it might, unless, unless something's going on here. Who are the two families mentioned here? I, I think they are David and I think they are Levi. David represents the royal line. Levi represents the priestly line. Now, before Levi... The, the tribe of Levi was chosen to be priests. Anyone has it a guess? Who in Israel was called to be priests? The whole nation was. The whole nation is described in Exodus 19 as a kingdom of priests. Everybody was meant to be. And then, if you know the story, you know in Genesis, uh, Exodus 32, Moses goes up the mountain and uh, Aaron makes the golden calf and comes down and Moses grinds it to powder and, and he, he throws out the challenge. Who is on the Lord's side? And it's the Levites that say us. And he says, go and deal with those people that are committing idolatry right now and, the Le and, and he says from this point on the Levites the Levites are now the priestly tribe but the Levites were the priestly tribe they had a function and what is a priest a priest is someone who who represents people before God that's what a priest does a, a priest is somebody who intercedes that's what that word is now interestingly in the New Testament it describes Christians in first Peter as priests we are to be priests Every parent should be a priest to their child. Every parent needs to go before God on behalf of their children and intercede to God. Oh God, please be merciful to my children. 
God, please guard my children. I love that prayer in Jude where it says, May the Lord bless and keep you. Keep. Oh, what a powerful word. Every parent should pray that God will keep their children. Keep. It's a simple little English word, but it's so rich in meaning. It's the role of a priest. And so the whole nation was, but Levi was chosen too. Now here's the question. In the New Testament, it says somebody, somebody is the real king. Who is that? Jesus is. The whole gospel of Matthew is there to argue that Jesus is the rightful fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the one in the line of David. He's the rightful king of Israel. And then the book of Hebrews argues that the Levites actually pay tithes to Melchizedek. Isn't that a weird thing? When Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the Levites were paying tithes to Melchizedek. And this is in Hebrews, and you might think, what on earth is this all about? And it's saying this, that everything the Levites were, Jesus is. I said to you, the Levites were there to stand before God to represent people. That's what Jesus does for us. He is our mediator. The priests were there to offer sacrifices to atone for sins. That's what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus is our high priest. He is our priest. He is the fulfillment of everything Levi was meant to be. So that's why we can say Jesus is of David and Levi. Now you might go, no, no, I'm looking for a a literal... Wooden literal trace the lineage to somehow one of them had a mother from Levi and a dad from Judah and we can trace... Well, the problem you've got is this. In AD 70, every genealogical record of every Jew which was kept in the temple was destroyed. There can be no genealogical tracing of any Jew's lineage back to Levi or Judah. That's why I'm a little bit amused when I hear people say, my, you know, some people claim I'm Jewish and my lineage descends, I'm of the Cohen family and my lineage descends back to the Levites. You can't know that. You just can't know that. And I actually think if you read Hebrews, you'll understand, I think God ordained that. In the same way God ordained that no one knew where the body of Moses was buried, no one knows where the Ark of the Covenant is buried, no one knows particularly where the cross that Jesus was crucified was buried, And no Jew today can trace his ancestry back directly to the 12 tribes in an unbroken genealogical record because the records were destroyed. That means this. The New Testament says Jesus is the king, the rightful king of David. The New Testament says that Jesus is the high priest. What else do you need? (laughs) What else do you need? So, leadership comes in various forms. If I was to ask you, and I know, I know the kind of response I think I would get. If I was to ask you, who here today is a leader? Just indicate, who's a leader here today? And if I was to ask you all here today, who of you influences another person in some measure? Would that change the way the question sounds? And I'm asking exactly the same question. And this is, this is a frustration, I think, because I, I think God has called each one of us in some measure to be a leader. 
And, and the heartache here for Jeremiah's audience was that it looked like God had abandoned his people. He had abandoned the two families that provided leadership for Israel. The two families that provided leadership, the royal family, David's line, the tribe of Judah, and the Levites from which came the priests, the, the, the Levites and the priests. And they're two different types of leadership, aren't they? The king leads in a certain way and the priest leads in a different way. And but yet they're both leadership. And as a bit of a student of leadership, I'm interested in this because I, I have a little bit of interaction with politicians. And if I was to ask you, are our politicians our leaders? Well, the answer that you're probably thinking is, well, they should be. They should be. And, so this, and this actually is a different kind of leadership again. So there's a kind of leadership that represents you. So it could be I'm you know, like our Olympic athletes. In one sense, they're, they're leaders because they represent Australia. So here's these two forms of leadership. And I, I guess I want you to see this so that you can go, hey, maybe I do have a leadership call, a leadership function. Maybe God has called me to be a leader, not a follower. I love what Reese said the other month, and, and we were talking about it last night over a sort of a family devotion. Reese said over a communion message some time ago, he said, don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat. Isn't that a great quote? wish I'd said that and he was quoting me. But <laughs> that is a great quote. Don't be a thermometer, be a thermostat. Set the temperature in the room. Set the temperature among your friends. Don't take on their temperature. That's leadership. So in this sense, David, Levi, we see two forms of leadership. The king, visionary. Now here's the interesting thing about Israel's history. You could track Israel's history like this. When Israel was seeking to take everything that God said was theirs, they grew when Israel stopped seeking to guard and to take what God had given them, they shrank. And you might think, well, yeah, that's an isolated pattern in history. Study Roman history. You'll come up to the emperor Trajan, who under Trajan, the Roman Empire extended to all of the known world. And then emperors after him said, well, we're not going to go to war anymore. We're just going to hold what we've got. And for a hundred years, Rome never fought a war. And the first challenge to their authority came from a Hungarian bloke by the name of Attila. And he, he defeated them. They'd lost the art of fighting. They, they forgot how to take ground. And here's an interesting point in leadership. Don't wait. Don't wait for your battles. <laughs> God has given you enough to do in order for you to have something to do to keep you very busy as a leader. God has called us to reach out and extend the kingdom. Anyone get that? Is it the heartbeat of your prayer life? Oh, God, help me to be a witness. I want to share Jesus with someone. Please, God, help me to be an effective witness. I, I want to do this. So there's that kingly 
leadership. There's also this other type of leadership, which is the priest. It's a shepherd leadership. So it's taking new ground and then it's guarding what you've got. And you know what? In a church, we need both. We need those who can be visionary and bring in new souls into the kingdom. Then we need those who know how to shepherd them and guard them and feed them and nurture them. We need both. Amen? Both types of leadership. Next verse, verse 25. Thus says the Lord, If I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed the order of heaven and earth, we'll pause it there, this sounds very, very familiar. If you're taking notes, it sounds very, very familiar to something he's just said two chapters ago in chapter 31, verse 35. He, he says something very similar to this. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Now you might think, well, it's just poetry. Surely it's just poetry. It's actually not just poetry. Did you realise that the stars, the planets, the earth we're on, the moon, the sun, are all governed by physical laws? Do you realise if they weren't, life would not be possible? In fact, so regular are the movement of the stars, the orbit of the moon and the earth and the, the rotation of the earth. So regular is it, you could, we, we actually set our watches by it. It's amazing precision. Amazing. In fact, it's so amazing. Albert Einstein, in 1924, I believe, was observing it and wrote out a full-page mathematical equation and said, I think this is what's happening in the universe. And he wrote out this long equation. You may have heard of it. It's called the theory of general relativity. And he said, I think this is what's happening. I think there is one mathematical equation that is governing everything we see in the universe. Now, I want you to consider that. Albert Einstein. It's one mathematical equation called general relativity governing the orbits, the stars, the, everything. How did that happen? How did they know that they were the x over the y divided by pi squared over r by whatever? I'm making it up as so I go along. How did they know? How did Mercury know where it was on that equation unless somebody fixed it and ordained it? So this is really, really profound. God has fixed the physical laws which govern the universe. A very, very profound point. So the next time you hear somebody say, if you leave your light globe on just for too long, the entire cosmic karma wave balance shift could explode on itself. Just remember, God has fixed the laws that govern the universe, the times and the seasons, and what's going to happen next. And with that knowledge, you should be able to put your head on your pillow tonight and sleep very sweetly because God's in control. God's in control. Now, hear the point God is making. He's saying, I fixed the laws that govern night and day, the movement of the stars, the movement of the sun, the movement of the moon, which is very interesting in a culture that was worshipping the sun <laughs> and worshipping the moon and said that the sun was directing events on earth and the moon was directing events on earth and we better take our newborn children and throw them in a furnace and offer them as sacrifices to these gods. And God says, no, I'm the one who created them. I'm the one who tell them where to go, when to go, when to appear and how to orbit. I'm doing that and I fixed it and they can't deviate from it. They don't have a mind. I'm in control. 
And with that, he then says this. Verse 26, our last verse. Then I'll reject the offspring of Jacob if this was just haphazard and random. Then I would reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and I will have mercy on them. And that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the son of David, which means the heir, the rightful descendant of David. Jesus Christ is the one. So just as we can observe God's dealings in the universe, we can see, we can understand God reveals his dealings through the Bible. We have what theologians call two books. This book and the book of nature. Romans chapter 1 says we can see God by what has been made. Psalm 19 verse 7 says we, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everything that's made points to God. We have two books, two, two things that point to God. I had one of those social media debates with someone recently who said, you're a Christian, therefore you're an idiot. I love the, the logical, sequential step to the word idiot that, that this guy took. And he said, where's your proof for God? So I gave him five. And he said, well, you've based all those on the Bible. I said, actually, I've based none of them on the Bible. I have five really good reasons for knowing that the God of the Bible is the real God. And I used really, really big words because I was a little bit ticked. <laughs> Some people say when they're doubting that you just need more faith. The antidote to doubt is not more faith. The antidote to doubt is the truth. You need to know the truth. And the truth is there is a God he created you. He, has, he does have a good plan for your life. He reached out by sending his son to die on a cross so you could be at peace with him for eternity. That is the truth. And the truth is he has ordained the church to be that community whereby your faith can grow and be fostered. So here's, here's Jeremiah's original audience going, all hope is gone. Jeremiah, you said there's a good loving God who has a good plan for us. Babylon's about to break through. We'll all be annihilated. Where's your God now? Huh. Well, we know the history unfolds like this. Many are killed. The city is destroyed. But some are preserved. They are taken to Babylon. And, and there is a remnant that can trace their history back to King David. They come back. We pick it up in the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, Zechariah, Malachi. And we can see the stage is now set for Jesus Christ. But in their, from their perspective, they didn't know that. And I look at that and I, and I have to put my Bible down on my lap. And I have to just close my eyes, lift my hands to heaven and go, God, there are times when I don't know what the future holds. There are times when it is just so very foggy. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this for absolute certainty. I know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds and neither do you. And you may be really stressing about that now, but I can guarantee you, although you don't know what the future holds, you can know the one who holds it, Jesus. And that should cause you to go, I worship you. 
God, I worship you. I have been running from you. I have been keeping my distance from you. Now I run into your arms and I say, God, this thing called life, bring it on. Let's do it. Because I know that your plans for me are with hope. I love that Romans 8.20 thing where it says, um, All of creation is subject to futility by him who subjected it in hope. What are you facing right now? What are you facing right now? Jeremiah's original audience was facing near annihilation. And they were despairing. Mind you, they'd brought it on themselves and now they're blaming Jeremiah for it. But what are you facing right now? Does it look hopeless for you right now? Maybe it's time to stop running. Maybe it's time for you to stop saying, I don't need God, I don't need Him. Look what He's done for me. (laughs) Yes, you do. He loves you. He does have a good plan for your life. With God, you can have hope to face your future. Father, I pray for everyone listening to me right now. There may be some who have gone through tremendous difficulty. Perhaps their faith has wavered. And Father, today, as you have led me to make some of these points, perhaps, Lord, there are young people that are saying, how do I know? How do I know the God of the Bible is real? How do I know the Bible is real? And perhaps some of the things that have been shared today have just laid a a foundation of bedrock in their soul that, yes, The truth is there is a God who created heaven and earth. There is a God who directly created mankind. There is a God who knew that mankind would fall. There is a God who ordained that Jesus Christ would come and redeem mankind. And it has that redemption certificate has your name on it. From the foundation of the world, God could see you. He knew you were to come and he sees your future. And he and only he can give you hope. For that future. Oh God, I pray today that we would live in that hope that you are a good God, that you have a good plan of hope for us. And Father, for those who've never surrendered to you, and maybe that's you right now, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never said, I want to stop running, I want to stop playing games. God, if you can forgive me, Please do. God, I've done some stuff. I've been hurt. And I need you to heal my heart. I need Jesus to come and take the driver's wheel of my life. If that's you, you are one prayer away from peace with God. A prayer that says, God, forgive me. I give my life to you. Help me now to live for you by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God's covenant with night and day, it's not going to be broken anytime soon, so we can be sure that his promises are solid. We may not know what the future holds, but we can know who holds the future. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, God's Covenant with Night and Day, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.